So our uh, speaker tonight is a legend. He is a legend. Uh, I don't know if you've read his uh, most recent book, Everyday Supernatural. You got to pick it up. It's such a good, good book. Now his publicist, Mike's publicist, uh, emailed me specifically what I was supposed to say during the introduction, and so I want to be careful here to not mess this up. So the brilliant and the beautiful, uh, the most handsome Greek man outside of Greece and specifically in the city of Chino. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Mike Pilavachi, the Magnificent. That was the most patronizing introduction I've ever, I've ever come across. And if you spent less time making jokes <laughs> and more time actually on the things that matter, you would have, I can't believe I'm gonna have to do this. Uh, I'm so sorry, but he didn't say, um, there's a very important health and safety announcement that we have to make um, uh, tonight. And this is for your health and safety. Uh, unfortunately, it is absolutely not allowed to bring chocolate into this auditorium. If you have brought chocolate into this building, you need to bring it to me now for <laughs> safekeeping. Come here, come here, come here. Thank you, that's, that's, that's enough. Now we move on. It is great to be here, and it's a joy. Do you know, this is my first time here, and I you're, I'm a bit cross that you're getting me so well, because um, I want to, um, oh, oh, yeah, never mind. <laughs> I'm going to launch straight in. I, I don't know about you, but um, uh, I, uh, I, I, I have two longings, really. Uh, one is for greater intimacy with Jesus. I want to know him better, and I want to follow him more closely. I want to have a greater intimacy with him. And the second thing is, I long to see him move in greater power. I long to see uh, Jesus set people free, not for the sake of entertainment, but because of love. And I think that's many of our longings, those two things in these days. And uh, I want to um, try and answer the question, what, 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 what do we need to do? What posture do we need to have if we are to see both those things happen. And there's a number of things we could talk about, but one thing is, um, is kind of a missing ingredient that we don't really say very much, and I want to look at that tonight. And uh, in order to do that, I want to begin uh, with Jesus' first ever miracle. And I love it 
that the first miracle that Jesus ever did was at a wedding party when he turned water into wine by the gallon. It was amazing. And uh, I just want to look uh, a little bit at this. You can find it in John chapter 2. If anyone wants to follow um, me, just, and if, if I think nobody's following me, uh, I'll be tempted to make stuff up, which I do. Um, but here we go. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, isn't that typical of a mother? Isn't that exactly what they do? Have you noticed? They don't tell you what they want, do they? They don't say, they don't say can you bring the shopping in from the car? They say, oh, there's a lot of shopping in the car. They don't say, can you load the dishwasher? They say, oh, the dishwasher needs loading again. Jesus' mum was no different. They've run out of wine. And Jesus, like any normal teenager, says, what's that got to do with me? In fact, what he says is, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And when I first read that, I found that a little bit strange. You know, they've run out of wine. My hour has not yet come. There's another four places in John's Gospel where Jesus talks about his hour, about his, um, uh, yeah, about his hour, and all the other places refer to his death on the cross. So another translation of this is, son, they've run out of wine. Mum, it's not my time to die yet. What's going on there? I want to suggest what's going on there is that this bridegroom didn't get enough wine in. And Jesus was maybe at that wedding thinking about his own wedding at the end of the age when he would be the bridegroom and his church would be the bride and he would provide this bridegroom more than enough wine for his wedding banquet for the wine is in his blood. And then Mary says, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. So it's a funny little one, isn't it? It's <coughs> Mary says, they've run out of wine. Jesus says, it's not my time to die yet. Mary turns to the servants and says, do whatever he tells you. Now, that's the title of tonight. Do whatever he tells you. Let's listen to Mary. And when he speaks to us, when he tells us to do something, obedience. Obedience, I believe, is a missing ingredient in seeing God do wonderful things and in having an intimacy with him that is stronger. Now, when it says, do whatever he tells you, the way I interpreted it for a lot of my life as a Christian was, do whatever he tells you when you understand what he tells you. Do whatever he tells you when you agree with what he tells you. Do whatever he tells you when what he tells you isn't too risky. Now, that's not obedience. That's happening to agree with Jesus.
you, you think that's going to make things better, do you? We're going to lay hands on you later. Um, do whatever he tells you. Obedience is doing what he tells you when you don't completely understand, when it doesn't make sense, when it seems scary, when you're out of your depth. That's the place where miracles happen. And straight away, the servants had an opportunity. As soon as Mary said to the servants, do whatever he tells you, Jesus says, you see these big stone water jars, fill them with water. Now that didn't make sense. If I was one of the servants, I would have gone up to Jesus and I would have said, excuse me, Mr. Christ, but I overheard what your mum said to you and she said they've run out of wine. What we, what we have is a wine deficit, not a water shortage. We've got lots of water. We've got San Pellegrino coming out of our ears. What we need is Chateau Neuf de Pape. And if I had said that to Jesus, I think he would have said to me, and I heard what my mum said to you, and she said, do whatever I tell you when you don't understand. And I suspect, now, now I may be reading in here into the scripture a little bit, but, but I would imagine the servants were like, what, what are we doing with water? That's a bit strange. We got loads of water. We got loads of water. We bought loads of water. We've got no wine. And then it gets worse. Jesus says, I want one of you to take a cup and fill it with the dirty water, because that's what it would have been, and take it to the master of ceremonies. What did he say? That's bad news. We're going to take it. He's going to think it's wine. He's going to drink it. He's going to spit it out. And we're just slaves. We're going to be in such trouble. Who's going to do it? And I suspect it was the littlest servant that got picked. And I wonder if the others were hiding behind a settee. Oh, there's going to be trouble here. What's going on? Well, he's, he's, he's got the water in the, in the wine goblet and he's taking it to the master of ceremonies. Oh, this can only end badly. The master of ceremonies taking it. He's having a drink. And then the next thing they hear is, stop. And then they hear the master of ceremonies saying, oh my word, to the bridegroom, you have left the Chateau Neuf de Pape to the end. This is a most elegant wine. And he would have been tasting it. and Yes, it's got undertones of blueberries and licorice. And before, before you know it, all the other guests, they're, 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 they're sipping the wine and they're, they're, oh my word, it's just the aroma, the, oh, the texture, it's just, it's just amazing. And the servants are looking up from the settee and they're saying, what? It's dirty water. We know it's dirty water. It actually says here, it says... But the servants knew. They were the only ones who knew. No one else knew. And, and I'm absolutely certain that as they were doing that, looking at that, don't you know that Jesus must have turned to them at that point and gone? <laughs> you know, he doesn't say it, but he must have done it. And they would have like giggled. At the place of their obedience, where it was scary, where they didn't understand, 
where they didn't get it, they saw a miracle and they were the only ones who knew. And they had the greatest moment of intimacy with Jesus that they knew. They knew it was them and him that, that knew the secret. I want to turn to a second passage. And it's in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus has just fed 5,000 people with a little boy's picnic, which is my favorite miracle of all time. Any miracle with lots of food is my favorite miracle of all time. And then there's this incident where Jesus walks on the water. Verse 22 says this, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, I've read this passage for years. I mean, I've, I've been... I've been a follower of Jesus since the days of Noah. You know, I, I am old. And, and I've read, and do you know what? There's so, I've read this so many times and so many things I've missed. And then just a little while ago, I saw something. And it actually says, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. The original Greek is really strong. It's like he made them get into the boat. It's a strong term. So I think it was something like this. Uh, boys, um, uh, I just want you to get into the boat and I want you to go overnight across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. Um, how are you going to get over, boss? I I've got my own transport sorted. I wouldn't worry if I were you. Um, Jesus, the boys and I, we've been on the internet and the weather forecast for Sea of Galilee overnight is really bad. It says big waves, lots of wind. If it's all right with you, we'll stay here tonight and go across with you in the morning. Get in the boat. He made them get in the boat. Sometimes Jesus deliberately sends us into storms. Why? Because he loves us and he knows that it's often in the middle of the storms of life that we put our trust in him the most. We have the greatest moment of intimacy and we see the greatest miracles because we have to rely on him and not on ourselves. He knows what he... Oh, a bit of enthusiasm there. Uh, he, he knows... He knows what he is doing. And listen to what happened. I love this. Um, uh, so, so they go, and, the, and then sure enough, they're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. There's huge waves. There's a lot of wind, and they're scared. And it says this. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And cried out with fear. Do you know how many times the disciples don't recognize Jesus in the Gospels? It's hilarious, especially after the resurrection. I mean, it's hilarious. You know, they were so full of disappointment, they didn't recognize Jesus. On this occasion, they didn't recognize him because they were full of fear. Fear and disappointment often stop us recognizing Jesus. And they thought he was a ghost. So what does he do? He speaks to them. He speaks to them. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Three phrases. And the two on either side, take courage and don't be afraid, they're similar. 
And I, I see them as two pieces of bread in a sandwich, but the peanut butter and jelly in the middle is it is I. It is I. That's why we can take courage and not be afraid because it is I. Now, I'm, I'm not a theologian. I'm just a very old youth worker, youth pastor. And I've not really studied theology properly and I certainly haven't studied New Testament Greek or anything. But I am Greek. And as a... You're his wife, aren't you? I could tell. And, but I am Greek, and as a Greek, I know that that phrase, it is I, in the original Greek, it's ero ime. And ero ime comes, is two Greek words, ero, which we get ego from, um, literally means it's me. And ime means it's me. So another translation could be, take courage, it's me, it's me, don't be afraid. And that phrase, ero ime, is, is you find it in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, when Moses meets God at the burning bush, and Moses says, what's your name? And the Lord says, I am who I am. Ero ime, it's me, it's me. And the reason we don't have to be afraid and we can take courage is because Ewo Ime, the great I am, is with us in the storm. Isn't that amazing? So you don't need to, don't, no, no, don't, don't. I've only got 25 minutes left. We've got a long way to go. And, and then she's at it again. And, and then, and then, like, Straight after, then they recognize Jesus. When he speaks to us, we start to recognize him. And then I tell you what happens next. It's quite funny. I'm, I say this in all humility. I, I think that there are similarities between myself and the Apostle Peter. And the main similarity is we both open our mouths before our brains are in gear. And Pete kept doing that. I mean... He would say, before he could think about it, and this was one of those times. So Peter gets excited. It's Jesus. It's not a ghost in the storm. And then we read this. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, I think it was something like this. Oh, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Oh, what have I just said? And before Pete could say, only joking, Jesus says, Come on then. And I think the other disciples, they were like there in the boat. They're saying, off you go, Pete. You opened your big mouth again. You got yourself, let's see you do it. And he was like, what have I done? And he gets out of the boat and he starts walking towards Jesus. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? But when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, I tell you, for years, 
I have read this passage as Peter's great failure. In fact, I've even preached on it as Peter's great failure. But a, a while ago, I, I suddenly thought, it's not. It's actually Pete's greatest success. It's his greatest moment. But this is how I've read it. I've read it for years as, as Peter starts walking on the water, and then he takes his eyes off Jesus, which it says he does, and he sees the effect of the wind on the waves. He gets scared, and he starts to sink, and he starts to drown. Now, that's true. He does take his eyes off Jesus. Uh, and then the way I've read it is, as he's going under the water, he says, Lord, save me. And Jesus sees Peter drowning. And Jesus is thinking, oh, no, Pete's drowning. What am I going to do? I need him for the acts of the apostles. So Jesus... And the way I've read it, dives into the water and does the front crawl and swims towards Peter, gets behind him and uses a life-saving technique he learned at Nazareth's swimming pool when he was a teenager. And then he says, and then he says to the disciples in the boat, quick, Pete's drowning, get the rubber ring, throw the rope, help me save Pete's life. I need him for the acts of the apostles. And eventually they get Peter into the boat Jesus gets into the boat soaking wet and Jesus puts his knee on Peter's chest and gives him mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation until Peter comes back to life. And as Peter comes back to life, Jesus says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? That's how I've read this passage for years. How did I do that? That's not what it says, is it? It's not what it says. Do you know what it says? As Peter began to sink, immediately he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, if it was me, I would have immediately tried to save myself. If that didn't work, I'd have called my friends to save me. If that didn't work, I'd have called 911. And as a last resort, I would have prayed. The first thing that Pete does as he says, Lord, save me. And do you see what it says? It doesn't say he dived in. It says, Jesus reached out his hand and lifted Peter up. Do you know what happened? He took Peter's hand and he lifted him up. And Jesus and Peter walked back to the boat on the water together holding hands. The two of them. I don't know how far they got, but they walked back together holding hands it was the greatest moment of intimacy in Peter's life and it was the greatest miracle that he was a part of he didn't just see and I want to suggest that I think Pete lived off that story for the rest of his life at church planting parties you know that someone would have asked him regularly Pete tell us you're walking on the water with Jesus story and Pete was like, oh, not again. Oh, I've told this story so many times. I just can't say it again. Oh, all right, I'll tell it one more time. Gather around, everyone. I'm going to tell you how I walked on the water with Jesus again. Um, well, um, I mean, what do I say? I mean, we were in the boat, and we were going across the Sea of Galilee, and there was a terrible storm, and the boys were frightened. May I tell you, they were petrified. And then Jesus came towards us, and bless them they thought he was a ghost and then when I, I, I saw Jesus and I recognized him I said Jesus may I join you um, having a stroll 
um, on the water, maybe go for a walk together. And Jesus said, be my guest. So I got out of the boat and I started walking towards Jesus. Now, the next bit's a little bit hazy. I can't remember all the details. But basically, the Lord Jesus and I, we ended up walking on the water together, holding hands. Did I mention that we were holding hands? Oh, yes, yes. What was it like walking on the water? Well, I mean, how do I explain it, really? I mean, the only two people who have ever done it in history are myself and Jesus. And, well, Jesus has gone back to heaven, so I suppose I'm the only one left on earth who can tell you what it's like walking on the water. Well, I mean, it was spongy, it was liquid, but it was kind of firm. It was like a gentle roller coaster, really. It was quite fun, and, and we were just walking along. We were having a little stroll over the waves, and, and I did mention we were holding hands, didn't I? And, um, and you know, I mean, to be honest, to this day, I can't be sure whether I was holding him up or he was holding me up. I mean, we were just there together. You know? Now, do you know how I know he would have said that? Because I would have said that if it was me, and so would you. And then I think, I imagine Peter saying, um, um, uh, uh, boys, uh, Peter, uh, sorry, Andrew, John, James, is there anything you want to add to the story? Oh, no, sorry, I forgot. You never got out of the boat, did you? It was just me who walked on the water with Jesus. It was just me who did that with Jesus. At the point of Peter's obedience, he saw the greatest miracle. He was involved in it. And he had the greatest moment of intimacy with Jesus. That, my friends, is how it works. It's all over Scripture. Now, there's a book that has been doing the rounds in Christian circles for years. And I, I mean, I think there are some Christians that don't believe that you can go to heaven unless you've read this book. And I'm not talking about the Bible. It's called The Five Love Languages. You know, have you read it? It's just, and, and you know, and they've done the five love languages for married couples, for engaged couples, for single people. Pretty soon there'll be one for left-handed people, blue-eyed people. <laughs> it's all a money-making scam, really. And... And, and the basic thesis is we all operate in one or two or three of five love languages. For some of us, our love language is touch, physical affection. For others of us, it's gifts. Uh, for others of us, it's quality time. Uh, for others of us, it's, um, it's acts of service. Um, uh, what's the fifth one? What? Words of affirmation. Like? Forget it. Um, <laughs> Well, you don't operate in that one, do you? Um, and, and, you know, those five love languages. And, do you know, when I first read that, I got really scared. I froze because I thought, oh, no, what's wrong with me? None of them is me. I don't have... I don't have any of those love languages. I have a sixth love language that isn't in the book. My love language is food. Tell me you love me, it means nothing to me. Go stick your love somewhere else. But buy me a chicken shish kebab and I'm yours for life. Did you know that God has a love language? 
and his love language is obedience. The reason I know is because he said so. If you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you will obey my commands. In, in the same uh, chapter of John chapter 15, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. You want to be friends with Jesus? Do whatever he tells you. Listen to his mum. That's how it works. That's how it blesses him. It pleases him. And it's, this isn't about getting into heaven. Not at all. It's all by grace. It's always by grace. It, it, it's about loving him. It's about loving him. It's got to be, I love singing songs, but, but the heart of worship is more than singing songs. It's doing what he says. If you love me, you will obey my commands. Now, um, I have in England, I have a, a, a friend um, uh, who's a, an evangelist who lives near me called J. John. And, um, uh, and uh, I've known John for years. And um, uh, people call him anointed evangelist. And from my understanding, it just seems like when he preaches, lots of people become Christians. And it really annoys me, if I'm honest, because when he preaches, a lot more people become Christians than when I preach. And Right. Can we get this straight from now on? When I'm making a joke, I'll do this with my hand and you laugh. <laughs> If I don't do this with my hand, it's not a joke, and it's inappropriate to laugh. <laughs> you two, one more strike. And, and, you know, a lot more people become Christians when he preaches than when I preach. And that really annoys me. And... and I mean, I've heard his talks, they're all right, but mine are all right, and I couldn't work out why does that happen, and then I realized it. One Monday morning, he phoned me, Monday's my day off, and he phoned me Monday morning, and he said, Mike, I'm going to come and collect you, and I'm going to take you out for lunch, and I am a man of principle. Uh, I live on principles. I don't get swayed by everything. And one of the principles on which I live my life is I never, ever refuse lunch when it is offered. And so I said, okay. And he came round and he took me. We went to the restaurant and we went in and the waitress showed us to our seats and we sat down and I was hungry. I mean, I hadn't eaten for an hour and a half. And, <laughs> and, um, and then John said, hello, what's your name to the waitress? And she said her name. And he said, my name's J. John. This is my friend, Mike. Uh, and then he said, how long have you been working here? And I just started to feel uneasy. And I thought, oh, you're not, are you? You're not. Just, just let's just have lunch. It's my day off. I'm hungry. And then he says, what would you like to do with your life? And, and she mutters something. And he says, would you like to know what I do? And I thought, oh, you are, you are, aren't you? You're going to witness to her. And then she said, yes. And he said, I'm an evangelist. Can I tell you what an evangelist is? At this point, I was wanting to slide under the table. I came that close to shouting at him, J. John, shut up. Let her go to hell. I want my lunch. That 
is why J. John is an anointed evangelist and I'm not. Because he tells people about Jesus before lunch on his day off. And I have noticed that the most anointed people are actually are actually the most obedient in the area of their anointing. The anointing rides on obedience. It rides on obedience. That's how it works. And in the 11 minutes that I have left, I just want to tell you as honestly as I can how it works and how it works for me. Um, I've longed to see God move in greater power all my life. It took, the things that I read in the book, I've longed to see. And I've wondered why I, you know, you see bits, but not, not. And, and one day, I just felt the Lord say to me, uh, Mike, um, you, you, I, want, I want you to, to honor me. And I thought, I do honor you, Lord. He said, I want you to obey what I tell you. I want you to, when I tell you something, I want you to do it. And not put it through the grid of, is it sensible? Is it safe? Do you understand it? I want you to learn to trust me. So I said, okay, Lord, I will. I will. If I think you're saying something, I, I, will, I will go for it. Because I'm desperate to see people set free. And pretty soon, I had the first opportunity. I was speaking at um, an evening meeting uh, like this one, and there were about 400 people there. And <clears throat> um, at the end of the talk, started to pray for people. And I just felt the Lord speak to me. Now, when I say I felt the Lord speak to me, for years, I thought the way the Lord spoke was like this. Hear ye, hear ye. God calling Mike, are you receiving me? Tablet of stone on its way down, duck. You know, I, I thought it was flashes of lightning and thunder. And I've realized it isn't. I misunderstood it completely. It, the way it works, certainly for me, it's like, oh, I just had a thought. That's a funny thought. Why would I think that thought? Could that be you, Lord? Or could it be indigestion? <laughs> and in my case, <laughs> quite a lot of the time, it's indigestion. And, and it's like, oh, wow, it's a gentle whisper. It's a still, small voice. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And he doesn't shout because if he shouted, there'd be no place for faith. If he shouted, we wouldn't have to come close. So he whispers. And it's like, what did you say, Lord? And he says, if you can't hear me, come closer. What did you say? Come closer. Come closer until you can feel my breath on your neck. He longs for intimacy with us. And we hear his voice when we still our hearts and we come close. And this is for all of us. You know, I used to think that God only spoke like that to people who stood on platforms and wore white suits and, and could really work the crowd. And I thought, I, I can't do that. And I discovered that the only qualification you need to hear the voice of Jesus is to be a sheep. My sheep hear my voice and they recognize my voice. And if you say you've never heard Jesus speak to you, then I say you're not a Christian. Because how could you have given your life to him if he hadn't already spoken to you and, and showed you who he is? And we make it so super spiritual and he speaks our language. He speaks in ordinary ways. So anyway, 
I was standing there and this thought came into my head. Uh, there's somebody here and um, uh, they've got a fuzziness on the left-hand side of their face, of their head. And uh, it comes and goes and they've had it for years and they've got it now. And I put it through the grid of my mind. I thought, that sounds like a migraine. 400 people here. The odds of one in 400 having a migraine more on the left-hand side, I'd say 50-50. 50%, I like the odds, I'll go for it. That's the honest truth, so I said it. And then the Lord, who is merciful and compassionate and glorious and kind and everything else, he is also sneaky when he wants to be. And do you know what he did? Just as I was saying it, he put the last bit in my head. And, and before I could stop myself, I found myself saying, and it's got something to do with your sister. As soon as I said that, I turned around and thought to myself, you stupid idiot. You had a 50% chance of getting that right. You know, how can someone get migraines regularly and it be something to do with their sister, you idiot? I mean, does, his, does their sister hit them over the head with a frying pan every day? And I was like really cross. And then I turned around and there was this young lady standing there quietly crying. And I said, what are you doing there? And she said, that's me. I said, it's you? She said, yes. I said, it's got something to do with your sister? She said, yes. She said, it's not a migraine or anything. She said, what happened was I was an emergency birth. I nearly died in the womb. And um, when they got me out, I wasn't breathing. And it took them a little while to get me to start breathing. And uh, I've got a little bit of brain damage. And one of the main effects is I get fuzziness mainly on the left-hand side of my head. It's been with me all my life. It comes and goes. And then she said, but the thing is, my twin sister didn't make it. My twin sister died in the womb. And she said, for the 27 years of my life, I have thought that the wrong sister survived, that I robbed my twin of her life, and I have felt guilty all my life. We were able to pray with her, and she was released of 27 years of false guilt. And I came that close to not saying it. I was the most shocked person there. That was you. It was either you or it was a massive coincidence. You know, and that's how it is all the time. You, you, you. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And our longing to see God move because we love people and people set free has to get more than our fear of failure. And that way we'll do it. I'll just tell you one more story. Um, and and I'm, the reason I'm saying, I want to say it as it really happened. Um, we were, uh, we, we, we used, to, we just stopped them, but we used to do festivals for 27 years, uh, camps for teenagers in England. And um, a, a while ago, at one of the camps, on the one night we made, we preached the gospel and we made an invitation if people wanted to come forward to become Christians. And we were thrilled that 200 Young people gave their lives to Christ that night, and we were rejoicing in that. And the next evening, I was down to speak, and I was down to speak on the gift of prophecy, hearing God speak. And um, towards the end of the worship, as I was about to go on to speak, I just felt the Lord say to me, uh, there's someone here who said to his friend this morning, if they make an another invitation for people to come forward to become Christians, uh, I might go forward. And... Um, and then I just felt the Lord say, just a little whisper, 
uh, and I think his name is uh, his name his name is Sam, and I thought, okay, what I'll do is I'll preach, and then I'll invite people who for, so that you know who want prayer so that they can hear God more clearly, and I'll say, and by the way, if if anyone didn't become a Christian last night and you feel ready tonight, why don't you come forward as well? And there might be someone called Sam. You said to your friend this morning, if they make an invitation uh, for people to come forward, I might come forward. Well, why don't you come as well? And then the Lord said to me, no, I want you to do it now. And then, in my head, the Lord and I had a blazing row. And I said to him, I said to him, Lord, (laughs) you haven't thought this through, have you? First of all, what if there isn't a Sam, and I've got it wrong, and no one comes forward what am I going to do then? How am I going to get on and preach on the gift of prophecy? They'll all think this is a false prophet preaching on prophecy. Ah, you hadn't thought of that. What if, there is, what, what if there is a Sam and this non-Christian doesn't want to come forward in front of 8,000 young people that he doesn't know? Ha! Huh? Didn't think of that, did you? So what I'll do is I'll wait till the end. And the Lord said, no, I want you to do it now. And I actually tried to start preaching. But after about 30 seconds, I stopped because I knew I was being disobedient. And I said, I'm sorry, folks. Um, I need to pause here. Um, I think the Lord's saying, I could be wrong, but there's someone here. You said to your friend this morning, if they make an invitation for people to come forward to become Christians, I might come forward tonight, and your name is Sam. And I said, Sam, we'll wait for you. Why don't you come now before I preach? Why don't you come? And I want to say to you, I stood there, God's man of faith and power. And I just knew. And this kid came forward. And I looked at him and he fell over. And it was amazing. That's what I'd like to tell you. Here's what actually happened. As soon as I said it, I thought, what have you done? What have you done? 8,000 pairs of eyes just sat there staring at me. And I thought, oh no, how am I going to transition to the talk? I don't know what to do. This is terrible. And then after ages, this kid got up and started walking. And everyone around started clapping. And I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you. I'll never do this again. I've learned my lesson. And he walked 10 paces and then sat next to a girl he obviously liked. And I wanted to kill him. And I just stood there, humiliated, desperate, wondering if I was really a Christian. And I got, it got so bad that I prayed the prayer I always pray when I'm in real trouble and nothing else will work. I prayed for the second coming. I said, Lord, return now. End the world now. You're going to do it sometime. If you love me, you'll do it now. But of course he didn't, did he? Because if he did, we wouldn't be here, would we? Although some of you might. That's a joke. That's a joke. It's a joke. And literally, I stood there because I didn't know what to do. And then this kid got up 
And he started walking down the aisle. And he stood there. And as he came forward, I saw he was trembling. He was shaking. And I said, are you Sam? He said, yes. I said, did you say that to your friend this morning? He said, yes. I said, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? He said, yes. In front of 8,000 young people, Sam gave his life to Jesus. And as he walked back, I saw his friend run up to him, and the two of them were hugging and crying. And the next day, they spoke to me, and, and his friend had been praying for him all year. Sam wasn't a Christian, and he paid for him to come. And Sam was struggling with depression, and he was taking some drugs that weren't good. And he, he'd said all that. And he gave his life to Jesus. Now, one of the things, the thing that I was, wanting to, I was saying to the Lord was, Lord, okay, that's great, but why, why so dramatic? Why so theatrical? Why couldn't he have waited till the end? Why did you put me through that? You know I have a heart condition. <laughs> I'm Greek, so I exaggerate. And, and you know the Lord answered, when Sam said amen, 8,000 young people stood and clapped and cheered the Lord and Sam. And the Lord said to me, that's why. Because you were rejoicing that last night 200 gave their lives to me. And I wanted to show you all that I will stop a whole meeting for one Sam. For one Sam. And that's a lesson that I'll never forget. I'll never forget. And we need to stop very, very soon. But... Um, I, wanted to, I want to tell you a couple of other stories of my amazing successes because I want to look good and you might want to buy my book. Um, but I just feel the Lord saying to me to tell you another one. And because this is real, when I was first starting to step out in this, uh, we were in New Zealand and um, I was speaking at a church in Auckland and I was just starting to take courage if I thought God was giving me words for people to say them. And I had this one word and I said it, and it was, I think there's someone here uh, that you sense a call to go as a missionary to North Korea. And uh, you're just wondering if that's the Lord or not. Where are you? Would you come forward? We'd love to pray for you. And this young lady came forward, and I thought, wow, I am good at this. This is amazing. And I could see people were impressed, and they looked at me like... I'm God's man of faith. And some of them wouldn't look me in the eyes in case I had a word about their secret sin. <laughs> and I loved that. So I, start, I started going around looking in people's eyes just to scare them. <laughs> anyway, they were praying for this girl. And, and I was tired, so I started walking back to where I was staying. And I, where are you going? Okay. Number one or number two? One, okay. Okay. Wait, I was curious. Um, and um, um, anyway, I was walking back to where I was staying, and um, what my, one of my colleagues ran up to me just as I got to the entrance to the place I was staying, and he was panting, and he said, I had to come and tell you about that girl who responded to your word about North Korea. And I said, yes, tell me. It'll go in my book. And he said, well, you're not going to believe this, but she's French, and she doesn't speak English very well, and she thought you were inviting some people forward for prayer for their career. 
and she couldn't understand why everyone was trying to send her to Korea. <laughs> I've got lots more like that one, but there's no time. And the thing is, you have to go through those to get to the other ones. And God uses broken people, ordinary people, weak people, and his power is made perfect in our weakness. And this is for all of us. Now, my stories have been from a stage, because that's what I do, that's my job, but it's when you're talking to someone over the fence, in the garden, when you're talking to someone at work, at school, Lord, is that you? And you can just say it kindly and gently and humbly. I could be wrong here, but... And do you know what's wonderful? Is it always feels like you're sinking. But he always takes you by the hand. And you get to walk on water with him. Did you wash your hands? Well done. And you get to... Um, I told you when you cheeked me earlier on, I said I'd get you back, didn't I? <laughs> I'm a different kind of pastor. I lay hands like this. What we're going to do now is, and that's another one, is we're just going to wait for the Lord. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to invite the Lord to move by his spirit. And we're going to see what happens. And I don't know what he's going to do. And um, just to say, I'm not going to try and make anything out. We're not going to have the Holy Spirit keyboard playing in the background to set the tone. We're not going to dim the lights. Uh, we're just going to be normal. And if he does more, we stay here longer. If he does less, we go home early. And if he does very little, there might be time for ice cream. Um, the pay's the same. You know, we're just asking him. And, and this isn't entertainment. This is because he wants to breathe on us. He wants to bring us life. And he longs. There are so many people in the church and outside the church who desperately need the power of God's love to set them free. To set them free. That's what this is about. So... Let's pray. I'm just going to sit down because my legs have a lot to carry. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask now that you send your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you move among us? Holy Spirit, would you rest on us? We honor you. We do not command you. We humbly invite you. Jesus, breathe on us as you breathed on your disciples. Equip us. Empower us. Give us the gifts that we need. Give us revelation. Set us free. We welcome you now. And we wait for you. Now just wait for him. No one needs to pray or sing or do anything, just wait. The more we wait, the more he does.